You're listening to the CISO Secret Podcast, brought to you by Checkpoint. And now welcome your host, James Azar. Dr. Anton Chivakin, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, as always. Thanks for inviting me. I love having you on the show. I love picking your brain. Um, I know you're doing some really cool stuff over at Google. So let's talk a little bit about the cybersecurity kind of technology landscape that's been really evolving over the last several years. What technologies are you seeing really step up right now and and just start to become more main uh, mainstays for uh, the essence of cybersecurity? So I'm going to start with a somewhat self-serving point, but I will get to your question, I promise, and very quickly. So uh, the funny part is we just launched our own podcast called Cloud Security Podcast. And of course, everybody who was suggesting episodes said, you must do one on zero trust. And we're like, well, everybody's doing episodes and discussions and blogs and writing and papers and whatnot on zero trust. We would just drown in that noise. And people said, what? No, you're Google. You're the original home of zero trust. Your voice would not drown. So of course we did an episode of zero trust kind of focusing on a specific angle. But the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I do feel like I'm starting to feel that maybe, maybe this year or last year and this year is kind of where we would have a bit of a tipping point with the zero trust access adoption. It's been, it's been known for well, for many years. In fact, uh, the first implementations of zero trust approach were more than 10 years ago, including at Google. But it never quite, I felt like it never quite pushed over the fence to adoption. And I feel like maybe now is the time for when we have almost like a perfect storm of adoption, not just work from home, not just uh, sort of forced slash accelerated digitization of businesses, but many other factors to me push push us away from this type of a last vestiges of perimeter, let's just get UVPN in and you're okay, to more of a zero trust world. And again, people expect me to talk about SIM and analytics and get terribly excited about this, and I can't. But to me, zero trust is becoming that thing whose time has come. And to me, this is way more exciting than, well, merely a SIM. So, so you and I defer a little bit. So I'll tell you something really funny. Had RSA been in person this year, Mm-hmm. I, I had a deal to set up a desk in the middle of the floor of RSA with a sign that says um, zero trust is a buzzword. Prove me wrong. Um, that was going to be one day. I had a few others, you know, the next the, for, for, for the entire week of RSA and just record people debating mm-hmm. and, 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 and defending this idea of zero trust. I, I know that in the aftermath of solar winds, a lot of people kind of look at zero trust and go, well, if they only had zero trust, um, and you make a very good case that we're seeing a lot more adoption of it and, and SolarWinds and, and COVID were kind of the wake-up call to it. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, is it really scalable for a lot of enterprise businesses to go down the zero trust route? I mean, let's just pretend it's um, not 2020, but say 2010. And the topic du jour is not SolarWinds, but the Operation Aurora. Uh, the notorious um, sort of top tier threat group hacking a few large companies, which is again, 10 years ago. And you asked me the same question, Anton, do you think, uh, and the, the, the zero trust words weren't well known at the time, but the concept was already born. Forrester has written the original paper on that. So the concept was kind of there a little bit. And we can have the same discussion and would replace SolarWinds with Aurora. And I would convince you that yes, the zero trust time has come. 
And then you come haunt me in 10 years and say, Anton, you totally lied to me. And <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would cry a little bit, but uh, and I, I'm being you know, funny and slightly kind of self-serving here. But the point is that some of the watershed events that perhaps are seen as now things are really changing tend to occasionally not change things at least not in a wide scale. Of course, it was a wake up Google and Google did implement the system that eventually became uh, the Beyond Corp uh, Zero Trust implementation and it works well and it scales well and it gives users a secure yet uh, very productive, smooth environment. The point is that it took a bit of work <laughs> even for Google and um, we proved the model and now we are sort of close to, well, not just close, but like we are happy to let others use something similar to what we built. So scaling to me is not the problem. The problem is the journey, is how do you journey from your current reality to the zero trust reality? So scaling, I wouldn't worry about it. We have hundreds of thousands of employees who use the system and everything is perfectly fine. In fact, it's both secure and productivity enhancing, which is really rare in the world of security. But we had to travel for a while and sometimes through pretty, you know, deserted territories with possibly monsters afoot. And that's not, I wouldn't say that every company would go retrace our steps. Like, how do we get people there faster is a question, not can you do it? Sure, you can do it. So, so that, that I, I love that response because I feel like that's the essence of debate, right? When we Monday morning quarterback any situation, we can always look back and have these discussions around what was the right or wrong thing to do at the time. But as we look, you know, what's, what I love about being in cybersecurity, Anton, and I know you do as well, it's, it's the passion, it's the constant change, it's the, mm -hmm. you know, we think we're on the right path and then all of a sudden – someone luckier, a little bit smarter, and a bit more persistent gets to do something that really kind of upends our entire strategy. When you talk of, of, of like, you know, the, the use of machine learning and mm -hmm. AI in traditional, you know, cybersecurity kind of solutions or so forth, do you see that being now, do you see that kind of becoming more and more applicable because of this? Or do you see the, that usage kind of still being used as kind of more of a buzzword? So I've spent a good number of years back in the Gartner days thinking analytics, thinking ML for security. And I, I now realize that it's all my analysis, research experiences, talking to people, dealing with vendors, dealing with operators of technologies have converged to a really short and pithy line. I will share with you in a second about this very topic. Um, I think that the sane view on ML slash AI insecurity is to be a short-term skeptic and a long-term optimist. And everything I know uh, about this makes me a long-term optimist and a short-term skeptic. If, you see, if I see a vendor today who says, oh, you just like shovel data in our machine and we tell you everything you need to know, mm, of course I would laugh because most likely much of the data would be bad. Most likely the logic for cleaning the data wouldn't be in place and the technology would be quite underwhelming. But if you ask me, Anton, do you think that machine learning and algorithms and analytics would have a dramatically increased role in security in 10 years? I would say absolutely. So to me, this is kind of 
where I am with this is that um, I may not believe many of the vendors' claims today, but do I believe that they're ultimately on the right road? Yes, I think they are. Yeah, it's it's the difference between the technological speak to the marketing speak where a lot of this kind of miscommunication takes place. And and, and I'll leave it at that because I don't want to go down that I don't want to go down that route. Let's talk a little bit about cloud security though because mm-hmm. that's I think you know we're, we're seeing more and more organizations quickly uh, transition to the cloud, multi-cloud environments. You know, you guys mm-hmm. at Google's, you guys at Google ha- have Kubernetes, which is probably one of the uh, most utilized tools in the cloud. How do you see the cloud landscape from a security perspective developing over the next three to five years? Even the next year could be different from this one. So here's the, I'm going to, I can talk about this topic uh, forever nowadays as well, but let me <laughs> talk about one particular angle. It's kind of based on the blog post I was writing right before this, so it may sound a bit tactical, but it's kind of a big issue that I'm seeing. So okay. back in the day, my my former colleagues at Gartner have um, coined the quote or the what they call the SPA, strategic planning assumption, uh, that goes something like this. Throughout 2025, 99% of cloud security failures would be the customer's fault, not the provi- which means not the providers. So the context around this is that much of what we see in terms of problems, uh, security problems around cloud computing, they may be due to things like an operational issue or bad practice copied from a data center world to the cloud world. So I don't know, bad passwords, which sometimes are just boosted in impact inside cloud computing, or it's just the same issue that we had since, I don't know, the 1980s, but it's copied to the cloud environment. So the point is that we, repeat this and we kind of talk about this and say, hey, 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 cloud security. Yeah, cloud providers are very secure. They know what they're doing. Cloud customers, occasionally not so much and hence the Gartner Gartner line. So the question is, how do you make it better? If you make cloud providers even more secure, next year we may be talking about 99.9% of security problems in the cloud are customers fault, which is kind of a bit strange, right? Like sounds like blaming the, the customer, right? But how do we break out of this? So to me, this is one of the central challenges of cloud security, because if we have the shared responsibility model, I have my parts, I'm the provider. You're the user, I have your parts. If I do my parts, but you don't do yours, we may have a breach. And admittedly, it will be your fault, but it's not a good situation, right? So how do we fix it? And I think my impression that Google actually figured out how to fix it. <laughs> so this is, I'm going to leave you with a bit of a hanging. Uh, you, you will need to check the news on this one, but uh, it's kind of how do you break out of, how do you transcend from the shared responsibility model to some other model? How do you sort of evolve beyond that? So to me, this is kind of where the answers probably would be, because otherwise, you know, we can all hide behind shared responsibility model, but is it a good thing? I don't think so. You know, that's that's very true with the aspect of, in some of my work as a CISO, a lot of our vendors are startups and up and comers who, you know, build on the cloud. And regardless mm-hmm. of the cloud provider, it's very interesting when I do the cybersecurity questionnaire and I talk a little bit about the supply chain with them is when I ask them, what are you doing for cloud visibility or cloud security or what controls are you putting mm-hmm. in place? The answer is typically the brand of cloud provider they're using. It's so, basically whatever our CSP does is our answer. 
right. Whatever GSP does is uh, our security. And I'm like, um, you know, I think that's where a massive disconnect is between kind of the adoption of technology and the securing of that adoption by the early adapter technologists who are not security minded. And I may have done a tongue twister there, Mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's one of the things where I find myself having to do a lot of coaching as a CISO um anton is let me explain to you how your cloud providers what their responsibility is and what your responsibility is and how you need to engage with them on your responsibilities and really if you read your agreement you realize that Mm -hmm. you're you're liable for this and and they're just there for operational continuity but does it mean that that who does security in this case that may that may be a case of security being kind of I think you do it. You think I do it. In reality, nobody does it. Well, and and that, but that's the challenge, right? So most most of these young companies that we work with don't have mm-hmm. a CISO. They don't have a cybersecurity team. They may have an MSP, but their mm-hmm. MSP is a hometown uh, grown, you know, guy who operates Office three sixty five and ensures that you know they have the right controls in place or activates them on G Suite and puts in their enterprise controls within G Suite for email and leaves them there, right? He's not really part of the build. He's not really part of the company. He's more of the operational side and not the build side. And that's where the, um, I think that's where the biggest opportunity is, is how do we uh, go to a technologist, an engineer, an architect in the cloud Mm -hmm. and essentially do security by design? I mean, cloud to me is the chance to to transform it. Like I, I'm, I'm talking about maybe a few years in the future. It's not like oh, you're gonna have it today by going to a CSP and just buying stuff. But right. I feel like for these type of clients, for this type of small small organizations that are still kind of digital natives or somewhat IT savvy or maybe at least IT centric, probably big part of the answer would would be whatever their cloud provider does, because. I don't see them buying traditional security controls. Like I don't see them going to the legacy security vendors and buying appliances. That just doesn't doesn't sound like a very 2020s thing to do. <laughs> Most likely, it would be some kind of service, software as a service based security, CASB, you know, transparent encryption. I don't know. The point is that it would be something built by the cloud provider or by the specialty SaaS vendor most likely i i don't see a traditional msp helping them all that much and and i agree with you and and you know to echo that is the the largest opportunity remains in how do we engage these uh these innovators these mm-hmm. beyond security right i'm talking about uh the folks that build uh, life-changing medical appliances and applications in the cloud or data analytics or um, uh, uh, lifestyle applications and so forth that are natively building in the cloud. I think uh, the last statistics, and maybe you can you can shed some light on this for me, Anton, H- how many people are natively building in the cloud today? That percentage is, has to be over 95%. Yeah, that's, I don't have my Gartner tools anymore, <laughs> right? So I, I mean, I wouldn't be able to answer it crisply. However, um, one, somebody asked me when I left Gartner after almost eight years, somebody asked me, hey, Anton, what's your top number one learning from your experience? And of course, I had to kind of scratch my head. But, but then the answer just came to me immediately. And the answer was, 
it's kind of the power of inertia in IT. Like how many people would call me in 2019, my last year at Gartner, and ask me a question that I would assume was kind of old news in say 2003. Right. <laughs> and that's like actually a significant number. So sometimes um, it's kind of about people who haven't moved. I mean, maybe let's not call them laggards, but more tr some of the traditional companies where they haven't really moved with the times. Like you're thinking 95%, I'm not so sure. I think that uh, you would have enough people who do things the old way and the, the number may shock you. I don't know what the number is, but I, I think it's actually unfortunately large. That, that's, um, that to me is like the most fascinating aspect of of what we're going through over the last you know 12 to 14 months is this move from the traditional legacy system to mm -hmm. the cloud but that was going on long before um um covid and and it'll continue to grow uh post you know as, as we reach the tail end of this you know pandemic and then start to return to a resemblance of whatever normal is um mm -hmm. it's going to be very very interesting so so when we when you look at cloud kind of security and you talked a little bit about the shared model right mm -hmm. and kind of like the shared responsibility D do you feel like there needs to be more of a um an education phase within um the startup community about security by design in the cloud should that be something that we we spend more time and effort on doing i mean the the easy answer is yes but at the same time i if you realize that we've been educating people about this for a good chunk of a decade, at some point you'd be like, wait a second, if education is the answer, it would have worked by now. <laughs> so I think it's a combination of education plus building cloud in such a way that you cannot use it not securely. And again, a lot of work here at Google, Google Cloud is focused on exactly that. How do you offer, I guess the term we use somewhere was a secure landing zone. Like how do we build the cloud, our cloud in such a way that if you show up with your applications, you cannot possibly make them bad from the security point of view. How do we build this in such a way that insecure is hard and or impossible, yet secure is easy and the default route. So to me, this goes beyond just education because I think education suffers from, it would have worked by now challenge. It's uh, think about it. Think about the, the like a security awareness type stuff. User education, slightly different topic. But but the point is, everybody says, hey, hey, let's double down on this, and then you realize you've been doing it for 20 years, and the results are sometimes there. And of course, you can say that these are not the same users as 20 years ago. But still, this is kind of like feeling of doubt kind of grows when you think, hey, we would have educated users by now. We tried for 20 years. So same here how to use cloud securely you can tell people you know don't copy your database from a data center um, to cloud don't copy the default credentials from your data center database to a cloud how many times can you say that like 10 times 50 times 500 times how many times is enough i don't know how about you make it impossible how about you give a tool to migrate the database to a cloud native database which is secured through different mechanisms that may be the answer. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting aspect because I think um, a lot of CISOs, um, you know, when, when you know when I talk to CISOs, I, I predominantly speak to enterprise CISOs. So this challenge is less of a problem 
from an organizational standpoint because we're able to address security by design. There is a level of maturity in most enterprise organizations today. The challenge is in that mid-tier market. The um, uh, small to mid-range tech companies that are just starting to evolve and grow significantly where the original build didn't really address security so much and now they're being asked these questions and i think that's where the gap lies right i think that's where it's it's not about education like you said you you can only educate someone so much but at the end of the day unless you and i and um the 500 other people who 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 profusely care about security and Mm -hmm. constantly care about security record a podcast so interesting every single day that every single technologist goes i have to listen to this and in those podcasts we give them all the things that they need to know about it's Mm -hmm. very rare that we're going to be able to get to everyone right that's just the rule you know that's we can't stop people from irs scams those have been around for five years. People still force them for the Nigerian prince. We're mm-hmm. not exactly going to solve security by continuing education. A lot of times, like you said, it's building it in, but it's also um, making it more of a business requirement, right? Because that also helps. Yes, for sure. I think it's, I don't think, again, it's as, as in many cases with in our beloved domain security, we don't have the, we don't have the place to buy silver bullets. It may be a combination of education, uh, the platform guardrails and business requirements. Like, do you do we think that more regulations are the answer? I don't know. This one, I think we push the compliance button all the way to the max. I don't think we, I don't think more regulation is necessarily the answer, uh, simply because the areas which were kind of heavily regulated have improved, but more regulation probably won't improve them more. I think we are kind of maxed out. I, I mean, my uh, old uh, stomping ground, PCI DSS, right? PCI DSS improved security. I'm, I'm going to debate whoever you present in front of me to prove that PCI helped. But more stringent requirements probably wouldn't help as much. I think we kind of used up that source of motivation for security. But business requirements, possibly more secure platforms where you cannot do bad security, very likely. Other things, yes, probably. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said. What you said was was brilliant, which is how do we make it so that the only way to work is to work through security? And the business requirement to me is always the best way to do it because I, like you, don't like more regulation. I like less regulation. I feel like if the business requires it, people will do it. If government requires it, accountants and lawyers will make you do it. Or occasionally they would make you teach to the test and and do things that sort of uh, answer the letter, but not the spirit. I mean, again, going back many, many, many years ago when people would, uh, in very early years of PCI, where people would use a sticker uh, that says fireball and put it on a a pizza box in a data center so that the assessor (laughs) who would come and say, oh, you have a fireball, PCI requires it. And they point out at the box with the sticker and say, yeah, yeah, we have a fireball. And they're like, okay. Like, ultimately, that's the bottom of the barrel, that's where you fall when you push too hard. You have people cheating and faking, ultimately. I, I, <laughs> I just, this is from absolutely... 2007, so don't, this is not a modern example uh, in it again. It's from no, but, but, 15 but, years ago when PCI was just starting up. No, but what you just said is, is, is essentially what I said a, a little bit ago in the show, 
where when you I send someone a cyber uh, a security questionnaire before we integrate with them or decide to do business with them and we ask them what do you do for security and they say google cloud platform and you're like what <laughs> what is that yeah like i know google cloud i can call anton and talk to him you know he'll he'll find he'll carve 30 minutes to, to spend time with me like he's doing today but at the end of the day he doesn't know what you're doing on google cloud right so like i, I think that's the, the that's the I think that's the biggest hurdle for us to overcome is the the concept that cloud um, and security kind of, you know, I know that you guys on Google are working on something and, and, and I'm excited to see the announcement. I always love what what you guys do because it's it's always coming from a different perspective and, and from a from a very um, um, uh, streamlined perspective to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna be very it's it's gonna be very interesting over the next you know, several years to see how these companies that are starting out and are building natively in the cloud really start to address security by design because now it's the easiest time ever to do it. Yes, that's correct. And uh, we'll probably build more things in the platform that make security not just a default choice, but in some cases, the only choice. The problem is you can do it, but to, to, to make security the only choice, without constraining the business too much. That's a real trick. And again, our resources are uh, quite heavily focused on that exact conundrum. How do we make security the default or the only choice sometimes when we can without making it so that people would say, oh, this is too hard, I'm gonna go elsewhere. Like, how do we do that? That's, that's, that's the tricky part. I, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's that tricky part is why smart people like you working in companies like Google to figure out how to solve it. Yeah, that's a that's a fair assessment. Yes, <laughs> um, Doctor Anton, thank you so much for taking time to, to join me on the show today. I mean, I'm internally grateful um, uh, for you to come in and kind of just you know sharing a little bit of what you know. Um, I know that if if I think last time you and I did this, we went an hour and some odd, and and we could have gone probably for six more um, had time <laughs> never been a been a construct of life. Um, but but I appreciate you coming on today. Perfect, perfect. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks again for inviting me. What an awesome episode with Anton, right? The guy's just brilliant. So we now need to get to how you earn your CPE for listening to today's episode. Now, I always do them towards the end. I know. I want you to listen to the whole thing. That's how you earn your CPE. Thanks to our friends over at Checkpoint. So today's keyword to earn your one CPE for listening to this podcast is Cloud Guard Serverless. Cloud Guard is one word. Serverless is serverless is one word as well. The link is below in the show notes. So click it and earn your one CPE for listening to today's show. Thanks to our friends over at Checkpoint. So again, Cloud Guard Serverless. Um, Cloud Guard Serverless is our keyword, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to subscribe and follow us for a lot more and you can connect with me on LinkedIn, James J. Azar for a lot more content as well, folks. Thank you for listening and make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues.